who knows how many t languages we'll be singing that song when we get to heaven. You know, there was uh, one thing that, and understandably, you'll understand why I, I say that he forgot. There's one thing that David forgot earlier during the announcement time in the thanks. And it was to thank himself. He didn't mention his name. But I will tell you what David did during nominating committee. And I'm just saying this. You know, I probably should have done it at announcement time. But, but the way he led in nominating committee was from the Holy Spirit. And I just want to say thank you. Uh, what is it? Danke Ville? I don't know. Okay. Well, Ville is a lot, right? Also, I think that... So, you know, we... we uh, what you see there as a product... I mean, during some of the meetings, he was, you know, hundreds of miles away, but we were doing video conferencing. So I just want to say thank you um, for what you did. You know, it's good to see new faces and old faces today, and I do want to call out one other person that I haven't seen in a, in a long time. There's a guy named Todd Nelson sitting back here, and we actually worked together at Burton Adventist Academy when I was down in Texas. He is a math slash, you teach physics too, right? And teacher there, and he's been teaching for how long? Can you just, it, 33 years? Teaching, but ministering to our kids for the cause of the gospel. And um, I sincerely love Todd Nelson, and I know that he loves the Lord. And it's just really good to see you. So if you get a chance, go say hi to him, not to embarrass him. So you know how we start? So sing along with me. Oh, come let Wait, wait, wait. We got to start over. I hear like two different keys going on. That was hard. I, I, I don't like to do that, but we got to start over. I'm not a good singer, but you got to follow me. <laughs> Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Father, praise and honor and glory be to your name and your name alone. Father, we lift you up. We ask that the Spirit of the Lord is upon us and that you continually bring life into this church, not as a building, not as a service, but as a people. And may you be glorified through this people. And may you be lifted up and we draw all men to you. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So, for the next few weeks, we're going to talk, if you want to know how to do this, about how to kill a church. Hopefully, none of you want to know how to do this, but you know that churches die. If you've been around long enough, you may have seen one or two churches die or on the verge of death. I actually 
Uh, in college, when, when I had transferred to Southern Adventist University, we visited, me and a friend went and visited a church, a, a newly built church, probably within the last five years. It was gorgeous. We went to visit it in North Carolina, and we walk in, and we're like, wow, this is a really nice church up in the mountains. There were two people attending. And because there was no pastor anymore, they were just doing video church from somewhere. And they were afraid because they knew probably within the next year or two, those doors would be closed. You can't support a church on two people. And as you have seen, if you've done conference work, you've seen, you've seen thriving churches and you've seen struggling churches. And I do believe it is the work of the enemy to close our doors. Do we want this to happen? I'm asking you a question. Do we want this to happen? No. So step number one, part one of how to kill a church is do nothing. Do absolutely nothing and you can kill a church. Could you show the map? Does anybody know what island this is? Where the red balloon, that is not actually, the red balloon isn't a landmass. At the point of that, is a little island that is 47 square miles called St. Helena, however you want to pronounce it. And it's owned by British. It's a British territory. Now, there's lots of little islands everywhere. But the irony is, within the last two years, they just opened an airport. 47 square miles 4,500 residents, and they opened up a commercial airport. Now, let me ask, let, let, let me share a couple of things with it. So it's a, previous to the airport opening, it was a five-night voyage from Cape Town, South Africa, to this island. But in 2016, they decided to open up an airport worth $374 million dollars. If you divide that up between, amongst the 4,500 residents, that's $83,000 per resident that those taxes go to build this airport. So in 2016, as they're about to open this airport, they took test flights of commercial airplanes and realized that the winds and the weather prevented them from using the airport. So they said, we're going to delay this until next year and do a couple more test flights. So they ended up opening it in 2017. And from the article that I read earlier this week, the number of commercial flights that have flown into St. Helena Airport is one. One flight was worth $374 million. 
This is obviously called the most useless airport in the world. It's not relevant. If you can't use it, it's not relevant. Do you remember this company? I'm sure you do. If you were of of a certain age, before digital cameras, there was a thing called film. And everybody would go and you'd buy these, what are the 35 millimeter was the, the, the most common camera. And Kodak had the market. Up until about 1976, they had 90% of the film market in the United States. And they had 85% of the camera market in the United States. Up to 1976. But in 1975, somebody from Kodak developed a thing called the digital camera. And as they developed it, and, and uh, you know, here's our prototype, what do you guys think? They said, no. This will destroy our film market. This is not the future of Kodak. So they went on with their film, which, as you know, has been phased out of existence, other than professional. They're still professionals that use, but and the regular market, I don't know if you can still buy film for these kinds of cameras. And in 2012, they filed for Chapter 11, and they stopped even making their digital cameras, their pocket video video cameras, and they've decided we're only going to focus on digital imaging. They sold pretty much, I won't say all, but most of of their patents for about $525 million to Apple, Google, Facebook, Amazon, et cetera, et cetera, the more relevant businesses out there. Do you remember Kodak the Giant? It's Kodak the Irrelevant now. So my question to you is, could the church become irrelevant. Well, let me ask you this. Is the church irrelevant? I believe not. And I actually think that there's really sort of only way that the church can become irrelevant. Because the thing is, is if the church is about working with broken people, if the gospel is about healing broken people, should the church ever become irrelevant? No. In the same breath, I might ask, will hospitals ever be irrelevant? They shouldn't. The medical industry should never be irrelevant because you will always have hurting people. This side of the second coming, you will always have hurting people. Hence, there are things that probably will not go away. Doctors, nurses, well, probably pharmaceuticals, those kinds of things will not go away. They will always be relevant. The church should always be relevant. But I believe the way that it could be irrelevant is by inactivity. By us sitting on our hands. I mean, in the same way, a hospital becomes irrelevant if doctors and nurses do nothing. 
right? You know, oh, you're hurt? All right, see you later. Right? That makes sense. It's logical. I do want to say this in our context. This is just a tangent. And for you that don't know this context really well at Downers Grove, I want to, I want to say this. This here, what you looked over earlier, is a testament to that I believe that people are doing stuff here. So I say this as how the church could die. In my personal experience, I have never been a part of a church where so many people per capita are doing something. So that is a testament to what the Lord is doing in this church. The reason I'm, do, I'm doing this series is it doesn't mean we're safe because of where we are. There are possibilities, and there are things that we can do better, right? Go to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, verses 5 through 8 say this. I will let you go there if you uh, have your physical sword here. But as you can see, it's going to be up there. Luke chapter 8, starting with verse 5. And you are very familiar with this parable. A farmer went out to sow seed, and as he scattered the seed, some fell on the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because there was no moisture. Other seed fell among the, so the thorns, which grew up, and it, was, and, it and it choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Who has ears to hear? Let him hear. I want you to go to verse 15. Now, you know the explanation. I shouldn't assume that. But I want to focus specifically on the good soil. Verse 15 says this. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a good crop. Now, I want to share a word with you. This is a Greek word, which is sort of the stepchild of Hebrew. So, this is, my love is not for this word. But this word is kateko. Can you say kateko? Kateko. This is the Greek word that is translated here to retain in the, in the NIV. And it says, if you look at commentaries, what this word literally means is to continue to believe and to practice, to do, to act. Actually, it comes from a, from a nautical word. Uh, and what this nautical meaning is, dealing with ships, means to control the movement of a ship to a particular point. So what it means is that I have a desired outcome and I will work to get us there. Now, how many of you have ever spent any time on water? Now, if I want to go, say I'm halfway in 
a lake, or even bigger body of water. If I do not actively try to get there, and I just sit there, will I remain in the same place? No. You know, that was part of the challenge with them fi- trying to find that, that airplane, the Malaysian air, is that that's what happens. You drift. So you have to actively keep getting on course to go where you want to go. And that's this word. It is very active. You must be active in your Christian walk. I don't, I don't know if sometimes, I, am, I don't know if sometimes our background of legalism has prevented us from that at times, where we're like, well, you can't really push that for people to be active. But do you realize that there are churches that do push that? Rush Creek was a church right down the street from where the church that I used to pastor at. You could not join Rush Creek. You could not join unless you picked a ministry. Could you imagine? Could you imagine our churches say, you cannot join this church unless you have a ministry? We would be afraid to say those kinds of things. Well, you know, just in your time. No, no, no. You have to have a ministry once you join. Now, you can change that ministry as you learn, out, learn what your gifts are, but you have to have a ministry because it's going to benefit you, not just other people. Your Christian walk will grow exponentially if you do something. If you do nothing, you will just leech. You know, when Jesus talks about weeds and flowers, he says, you know, you've got weeds or these thorns. He's talking about invasive plants that just suck the life out. I will tell you from my little experience in ministry, the people that we've struggled with in my pastoral staffs the most are the ones that have done little given little, but they sure like to talk. And they seem to find fault with a lot of people. But for some odd reason, what usually happens, I'm not saying always, but what usually happens is when people become active, they're using energy in other ways that their mouths don't necessarily have to work as hard. You know? you got to use energy somehow. And they actually become part of the solution. I don't know why God did it, but he does it that way. And actually, when he speaks on the negative side of this, because what he says is there's a, there's a difference between the soils. The three soils, as you can read, are, don't have positive connotations. And all of them are passively waiting. Well, I let the thorns, you know. Oh, you know, well, there's no moisture around. But there's one that produces fruit. It's good soil. 
And you could probably ask somebody like David or somebody who's worked with soil before, because you are on a farm, right? Can you just let it grow? No, it takes work. There's tilling. There's sowing. There's, there's so much part of it, and it's actively growing fruit. That's what makes it different. Do you remember the story of the talents in Matthew 25? He says, I gave some, you know, five talents, two talents, and then I'm going to give you a talent. And they put it to work. The difference between the talent people is they put it to work except for the person with the one. And he said, maybe I'll just bury it. I don't know quite what to do with this thing. So I'll just bury it, put it away. I won't even let it work for itself. And so when Jesus comes back, and I'm just going to, uh, read it. And, and I, know, I, I, I know it seems a little bit harsh, but they're Jesus' words. And uh, he says this. So I was afraid. This is the servant. I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. What do you think he was afraid of? Maybe making a mistake? Yeah. I was afraid that, that I just wouldn't do well with this thing. I, I was going to make a mistake. See, you can have it back. There. And his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I, had, that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned it, I would have received it back with interest. Something should have been working. Let the money work then if you're not going to do it. I'm giving you talents. I'm giving you gifts. What are you going to do with it? Sometimes it's laziness. Sometimes it's fear. I don't know if it really matters, the difference. I want to read a quote that I had printed off. And I love this quote. I read this several years ago. And this is from Gospel Workers, which is Ellen White, if you don't know who that is, who wrote this. And she said, and this is, talking about the fear of inactivity and stuff and making decisions. It says, it is even more excusable, it is even more excusable to make a wrong decision. What kind of decision? A wrong decision. It is more excusable to make a wrong decision sometimes than to be in a, con wait, to be continually in a wavering position, to be hesitating, sometimes inclined in one direction, then in another. More perplexity and wretchedness result from the hesitating and doubting than from sometimes moving too hastily. She's not saying don't think about what you're going to do. But she says, Inactivity, if you read some of her writings, she said, inactivity comes because of fear. We are like that guy, the talent guy, because, well, I don't want to upset God. I don't want to upset people. We don't have enough money. We don't have, you know, and, he's, and God is just saying, just make a decision and just walk through that door. I'll close it if it needs to be closed. Come on, just walk through the door. If you have a ministry on your heart, start it. The church doesn't have to start a ministry. We don't have to have a nominated position to be a ministry. I've known people that have had card ministries. I, I mean, our, it's not a nominated position. Our collegiate package things, who benefits from that? Where's our college kids? We got some college kids that benefited from that. Yeah, thank you, Tina, and the people that gave to that. 
That's not a nominated position, but it's a ministry. Whatever's on your heart, just do something. Do something. Or the church will die. You know, there is a a blessing. There's a blessing in Hebrew that goes this way. It says, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam hamotzi lechem min haaretz. And it means, blessed are you, O Lord, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. You cool with that? Brings forth bread from the earth. Let me ask you, do any of you guys have a bread tree? You ever seen a bread tree? Maybe, maybe it's... Maybe it's not a tree. Maybe it's like carrots. You have to dig up. It's a bread. Yeah. Do they have those? Bread bushes? No. It's even said in Isaiah, similar thing. He said in Isaiah 55, it says this. Um, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. And it's quoted in 2 Corinthians 9 that God brings bread. Now, I have never seen the earth bring bread. But you know what it means. What it means is God makes the materials, but you need to be part of this process, right? You actually will make the bread out of the materials. Now, if you don't have the materials, then there's trouble. But the way God designed it is that you are a part of this. We are a part of this. And we gain ownership to the family when we're a part of this. I mean, you know what it's like. Have any of you parents had your kids want to cook with you? Have you? Yes. And it doesn't help. It makes it worse. But it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful when they do. And they, but we have to clean up a little bit more and everything. But guess what? When they do that with my wife, and then I come home, they're like, hey, Daddy, here, eat this. I helped make it. I was a part of this. And if you are part of the process, there's some kind of, God put something within our hearts that we gain ownership of it. And that's a positive thing. To end, you know the story because it's a Bible story of the rich young ruler. And, you, and I'm not going to put it up here because you can read it on your own, but the rich young ruler, he goes to Jesus, and it seems like he goes out of excitement, but maybe out of fear a little bit himself. And he says, what do I need to do? What, what else do I need to do? And, he's, and Jesus, as he's with the, the kids, he's, he said, well, you know, you know, Honor your parents, you know, don't, don't steal, don't lie, don't do these things. And, and, and the rich young ruler says, well, since I was a kid, since I was their age, I was doing that. And then it says he looked at him, which means he probably wasn't looking at him at that time. He looked at him because he loved him. 
And he says, stop being passive in your Christianity then. Because all the do nots does not make you an active Christian. Just because you don't do that doesn't mean you're following me. He says, quit being passive. And he looks at him and he says, be active. Sell everything you have and give to them. Give to the poor. That's what he's calling us to do. And if we don't, then we will also become irrelevant. 